Welcome into episode 191 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. And this episode is brought to you by Dream Symbols. Go to Facebook and search for Dream Symbols page and find out all their upcoming events. They have five Dream Hangs coming up here. One is in on May 11th. That is at Forks Drum Closet down in Nashville. And that's Saturday, May 11th. And then on June 3rd, Dream will be taking the team to Brooklyn to Strange Weather Recording. And then on June 4th, they will be coming to Jersey for at Kaleidoscope Sound. June 5th, they'll be heading down to Maryland, to Cockeysville, Maryland, to Stages Music Arts. And then on June 6th, they will be at Magpie Cage Recording in Baltimore. So, again, if you want to check out some of these dream events, which I highly recommend you do if you're in the area, go to Facebook and look up uh, Dream Symbols. And on their events page, there's all the details, addresses, times, dates, of all this stuff. And there'll be much more um, announced here in the future. But for now, uh, we also have to thank Elisis for sponsoring the episode. In particular, if you haven't seen the announcement, they just released their Strike Multipad, which is a nine trigger surface multipad. It's got six square pads and then three of the bar pads on top. This is a really powerful unit. We just got one in to check out. So in the next couple episodes, we'll be digging in and reviewing it a little bit more in detail. But it has onboard sampler. The uh, LCD screen is really nice. It's a big 4.3 inch display and you can actually edit the, the waveforms like it's a computer screen, which is really cool. You can have um, it offers 32 gigabytes of storage, and it comes with over six gigabytes of content, which includes loops, single shot drums and percussion samples, melodic instruments, all kinds of stuff. So this is a really, really powerful unit. So if you're looking to get a professional level multi pad, definitely check out Elisa's new Strike multi pad, and we will definitely dig into this a little bit more in upcoming episodes. But for now, we're going to let Jacob Lindsay kick it off. So this is our intro beat. It started out from a studio session that Jacob did. Um, it's live drums and some guitar, and it was all created in Ableton Live. And he used the audio to MIDI function, which is one of my personal favorites, um, where you can convert an audio recording into MIDI information and layer in synthesizers, all sorts of cool stuff. So this is Jacob Lindsay, and let's get the show rolling. Holy episode something, something, 191. Something. We're getting to 191. 200 here. Love it. And look at how non-productive we're being about it. <laughs> we're still doing nothing about it. We just hope that somehow magically something cool is going to happen on episode 200. Oh, did you get my email this morning? We are the number two drumming podcast via, um, what is this website? I just sent it to you this morning. Feedspot. Uh, JanetJohnston.com. <laughs> my mom voted us number two. That's great. If you go to feedspot.com, we are the number two drumming podcast. Let's get that thing up to number one, shall we? How do we do that? And how are are they voting this based off of quality of podcast or is this uh, downloads and listens? It is, I'll tell you, it is based on Google reputation and search ranking. It is based on influence and popularity on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media pages, which we have none dedicated to the podcast. So that's a maybe we should fix that quality and consistency of the episodes and the editorial team at feedspot.com uh, contributes. So we are number two. I bet awesome. If, I bet if we just created a Modern Drummer Podcast Facebook page, we might actually get up to number one quickly. Sounds good to me. I will take it. We had a camper here pulling awesome, speaking of not really doing much with our social media presence, we had a camper here. I was playing, you know, at the night, at the end of the night, we have our camper sheds where the campers go out and play a song. 
so I had my iPad here, and we're all sitting in the control room, and uh, I said, okay, what song are you going to play to this other camper? And, and he said, I'll do whatever. Um, so uh, it was a Journey tune, and I pull it up, and the camper, who happens to be 30 years old, so he's not old, he's not young, he's right in the sweet spot, he goes, what program is that? And I said, iTunes? And he was like, oh. And, and all of us were like, dude, have you never heard of iTunes? And he was like mystified by it. It was pretty cool. I was like, wow, this is like just grabbing some random dude from a forest and just pulling no, him wait, in. He wasn't him. laughing because you're still using iTunes. He, he was more like, what no, is No, he was like, what is that? Because, I mean, we use, huh. we use both Spotify and iTunes depending. <laughs> like I have Apple Music and I have Spotify depending on whether we can find the song or not. Because a lot of times campers come in and it might be their own band, but it is on Spotify or maybe it made it to iTunes because they released it. Uh, so I have both. And yeah, he was he was blown away by just the amount of songs that iTunes had in it. You could find anything. I was like, yeah, that's... <laughs> well, you're talking about Apple Music. Apple Music, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So just, just in general, just the interface, he, he was... Uh, Clearly, an Android user that had never seen it before, and it was uh. it was awesome. So, good stuff. Uh, okay, we have a lot to get to. Yes. I'm in the middle of camp. Yeah, so this has to be a short episode, unfortunately. But I feel like we've been over delivering the past month, so you know, for this free product. No, I don't want to be. A jerk, <laughs> oh boy, we're getting into the reality. <laughs> what do you expect from us? Uh, so yeah, so I got camp number two is happening right now. And this is seven, once again, seven new campers, one returning camper. So I'm getting to see so many people experience it for the first time, which is always awesome. The campers gelled right off the bat. We've got a girl here uh, named Ihan, I-H-A-N, and she's quite a big deal on social media. She is an Iraqi drummer. Uh, so she's our, she's our first student from Iraq, but I believe she's living in Denmark right now. And she's quite well known over there. She does like commercials for the Denmark airport and stuff. Wild. And yeah. she's an amazing drummer, but she's an amazing performance drummer. So I really have to give it up to her. She has a career. She's killing it. She's playing gigs. She's touring nonstop. And she's here at the Intermediate Drum Camp because she knows that her fundamentals need a lot of work. She's a performance drummer, and now she wants to become a great drummer without cool. the performance. So that's really cool. It's been really inspiring to the other campers here that are kind of looking at her like, you have what we all want. Mm. And she's like, I don't want to be known as the female drummer that spins her sticks. I want to be a legitimate professional player. And she's putting in the work. So good for her. That's uh, cool. her English? Oh, fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I, she, actually, I mean, I can barely speak English. So every time I see someone who probably every, do two, yeah. three languages, I'm like, oh, come on. Every time I travel, I'm constantly reminded that we are <laughs> so low on the totem pole of intelligence. <laughs> Specifically, <laughs> Just, you and I, of course. <laughs> that's what I mean. Yes, you and I. Uh, yeah, I, I, I've got right, left, and kick in about five different languages. Yeah. Yo, so, jiao. Right, left, kick in Chinese. But I'm not sure. I don't even know if that was Mandarin. I don't know if it was like I mean, kind of Chinese. Yeah. So, uh, but those are the only three words I need to know in every language. But uh, but other than that, the camp's going amazing. And then we had a special guest pop by. Uh, Mr. Eric Moore stopped by uh, and just surprised the campers. And it was that's cool. You know, I'm sure you're aware, but whoever's famous to you and I, it doesn't mean they're famous to everyone that plays drums. So you never really know. I mean. We had Snarky Puppy come by the studio, and I didn't know, like, do our campers know who this is? Mm -hmm. It's a big deal to me, but I can't expect them to know. And luckily, 
this batch of campers all knew who Eric was and, and they were just freaking out. And he came by, played two songs, did his Eric thing for them, uh, and then and then took... Uh, I went home because I get up pretty early, so I was like, all right, you guys have fun. And he went out uh, to a little dinner pub and just had snacks and drinks with the campers. Cool. And nice. they all came in in the morning super inspired. So huge, huge thanks to Eric Moore uh, for just setting a good example. He told them all of his tour stories, talked to them a lot about what he had done in his past that hurt his career and what he's done recently to try to grow his career and how how little of it had to do with drumming. Interesting. It was all attitude and all approach. Um, he did share one story that I don't think he'd mind me telling because it's, it's just a story of growth, but he talked about how earlier in his career, if he played with musicians that were struggling, he would chop out over the top of their struggles to try to hide it from the crowd. Huh. And he was like, I swear I was not trying to put the attention on myself. I just thought we all needed to be at a certain level. And if you weren't at that level, I just covered you up. <laughs> and <laughs> and then he said, <laughs> which, which, which was honestly pretty cool that he even now can recognize that that's what he was doing. And then he was like, and now if I hear you struggling, I purposely play things that will help you out. And cause you to get back on track instead of... So it was like, if, well, the problem is, and maybe you go through this because you're not just a drummer, you're a musician. Eric's a fantastic keyboard player. I mean, uh, you know, fantastic, fantastic bass player. He can hear if you're pitchy. He can hear if you're in the wrong key. He can hear if you're soloing, you know, not with the changes. And so he just blazes. Steamroller more. <laughs> yeah. But it's pretty cool that now he knows, like, okay, how can I now, through my drum set, get you back on track or fix this situation. So it was really cool. I think the, the campers here got a lot out of it, and you couldn't really find two more different approaches to the instrument than myself and Eric Moore. So to have me for a few days and then get a totally different voice by somebody who's accomplished so much in his career to say almost some of the opposite things, it just shows the campers like there is no one right way to do this. Yeah, right. Gain a lot of opinions and then find the one that works for you the best. Yeah, interesting. I mean, I've I've never actually seen Eric play in the room, like a small room like your studio. I bet that was pretty insane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, even the even the fans of Eric that were here, like you could see them smile, but like like blink a lot, like a lot of fast blinking with the with the snare hits. Wonder what and the then, shop uh, above you thought. <laughs> oh my god! I know. Well, one they probably thought I got a lot better, but, uh, but no, they. Uh, the campers slowly migrated to the to the control room and grabbed their earplugs, then went back out. And but it was cool. I mean, honestly, my the the way this is set up is this is not a fantasy camp. You come in here. I'm your friend. I'm your brother. You don't need to pull out your cell phone to take footage. Like we're here. Mm-hmm. It was cool to have kind of the celebrity drummer show up, and it's like, all right, now all the cell phones are out. Everyone's getting their Instagram posts and I, it was cool. And it's nothing that I can plan for because I never know who's in town, who's touring, who's not. So it was just, you know, the only thing that sucks is then every other camp is like, is Eric stopping by? Is Snarky Puppy coming in? (laughs) Yes. Snarky Puppy's coming in to play for you guys. (laughs) So it was cool. Hey, do you have a clinic coming up? I do. Thanks for reminding me. I need to make a special announcement. There's it's, it's a pending clinic. So if we don't get RSVPs soon, we're going to have to probably uh, nix the idea. So if you're in the Boston area and you want to come out to a clinic on, it'd be nice if I had the date, huh? June fifth, June eighth, June eighth. Holy fate! <laughs> if you're in the Boston or Jamaica Plain, Massachusetts area, 
I am trying to get up there on June 8th from 7 to 9, and this is going to be a really limited event to 15 participants. That's why we need to know if there's actually going to be people coming out. It is, so if you could email mdinfo at com if you're interested, or the website itself is music at theblissful.com. Uh, backslash masterclass. So music at the blissful.com backslash masterclass. This is being hosted um, by the Blissful Monkey Yoga Studio. Mm. So you can call, you can also call Evan if you want the number. It's all on the website. So it's music at the blissful.com backslash masterclass. We really need to know if we're going to have those 15 seats uh, taken before we commit. So, um, Email mdinfo at moderndrummer.com or check out that website. Thank you. That is all. You know what? Just hearing you talk about doing another clinic <clears throat> reminds me of we need to seriously carve out some time for an East Coast uh, or any coast uh, clinic tour and, and get a third in. Like maybe you, I, and you, me, and Carter. That'd be cool. I think. Yeah, I think we need to do that. That needs to be a 2020 thing that has to happen because um, it th- – not only would it be great just to go and get to meet all of our listeners or some of them, but it's also just good bonding time. You know, I mean, mm. you and I literally have only hung out with tons of other people around That's us. True, We've yeah. never had a conversation without <laughs> a bunch of people listening in, uh, in person, that is. So, uh, you know, trying to catch up while we're watching Carter play with Charlie Hunter is very difficult. Yeah, no, it's impossible. Yeah. <laughs> Carter can't keep the damn beat. <laughs> All right. Uh, by the way, is it Carter's birthday today? Should is we send this, him some well wishes? Is it today? It's definitely this weekend because I am going to be subbing for him while he celebrates his birthday. Well, happy yeah. 27th birthday, Carter McClain. <laughs> you are the man. Enjoy that first drink. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, it's so funny. Man, that guy has some influence, some impact. Watching him get his kit. So, you know, he, he buys that old Red Sparkle kit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I don't know if I'm, ass- I'm assuming that strata kit was, he used one as well, right? Yep, yep. So the first kit that he got from his new endorsement with Ludwig was the green one, right? Yep. Yep. Okay. The amount of red sparkle strata and Carter green that I have seen on social media from other companies like, Hey, just so you know, we've got the Ludwig green and we've got the Ludwig red sparkle. I'm like, dude, I've been following you for six years. You've never posted a red sparkle Ludwig kit. And now it's like, just just say it. Just say we got the Carter kits. We got I, the Carter yeah, kits. I told him that, that it's his fault that now the Ludwig Standard Series is becoming a rare thing. It used to be like, oh, yeah, of course you can get that kit for like three, 400 bucks. No, not anymore. You can thank nope. Carter McLean for making the Pioneer and the uh, Standard Series collectible. Exactly. <laughs> awesome. And the fact that I still love that it's like, Wait a minute, how much is an Acrylite? $140? Screw that, there's got to be a cheaper one. <laughs> and he gets that one. Yeah. And then it still sounds amazing. Oh, good stuff. All right, well, let's get into some education. It is time to talk about an article written by our good friend, Mr. Yost Nickel. If you guys don't know who Yost Nickel is, please do yourself a favor. He's got a ton of social media out there, so you can find out everything you need to know about him. But he truly is a master educator and a master player, and he's... Uh, he's in my top five of players and and honestly people as well. So uh, so he's talking about moving around the drum set. And if you watch Yost solo, you'll notice something. You'll notice that he'll play a very specific idea that's very easy for you to kind of hear as like this hook. And But then he will move that around the drum set in ways that you just thought, 
I've never seen anybody move that way before because generally when we move from our left to our right, from our snare drum to our floor tom, we just kind of get stuck. Mm -hmm. Then we either play two bass drums to buy us time to start over somewhere else, or we hit a crash and we just reset. And Yoast has this very economic way of flowing around the kit backwards and forwards. And I don't think going from floor to snare is any more difficult for him than going from snare to floor. And, and I'm talking about also going up and using the toms while doing that. Yeah, and what's kind of neat is he doesn't he doesn't automatically reverse the sticking. He just figures out ways to do it. The same That's sticking. The thing. So it might it's be still, a right hand lead. He's still right hand lead, yeah. Yeah. That's pretty wild. So the article is in the current issue, the one with Marcus Gilmore on the cover, who we'll dig into in a minute, but it is called Moving Around the Kit. Uh, I believe it's an excerpt or an adaptation of one of the chapters in his Phil's book. So if you really want to yes. dig into this concept deeply, definitely get his Yost Nickel Phil's book. But yeah, he starts very simply with a, you know, a sextuplet. First notes on the snare, second on the rack tom, third and fourth note on floor tom one, and then the last two notes on floor tom two. And then he just does that, repeats that, but then he, he reorchestrates it so it goes backwards. So it's then moving floor tom two, floor tom one, and then three notes on the rack tom, ending on the snare. So it's all the same sticking, starting with the right. <clears throat> that makes any sense. So it's a sextuple starting with the right, ending with a quarter note. So take it to take it to dump, take it to take it to dump. He just goes just down the toms and, and then up the toms. You're one step away from tapping it on the. Desk. Love that stuff. <laughs> no, because I hate having to edit those those sounds. <laughs> <laughs> Do you mix it? Yeah, the mixing is a pain in the butt Ugh. when you start smacking the desk. <laughs> well, so so one thing that I noticed with watching Yost play is that, and he mentions it in this article that I think would be the biggest key for everyone is even when you're playing even groupings around the kit. Wherever you get to the last point, play an odd grouping. Play a grouping of three or a grouping of five, and that will switch your lead hands to flow around the kit in the other direction. Now, you're still rhythmically on the right-hand lead, but your left hand is kind of in the air, ready to go to move you to the left. Um, and I think even Thomas Lang really brought that to our attention in his first DVD set, where he would just do three per drum. And you could see how it would just flow from tom to tom, and you could go almost any direction in groups of threes, much easier than you could in groups of fours. Mm -hmm. um, but Yost has this thing just down on a whole different level. The other thing that Yost does that I think is brilliant with this stuff is he'll do these motions uh, around the kit in these specific rhythms, but then he'll also, when you think it's as cool as it can get, then he'll double time it or shift up maybe one subdivision. But yeah. he has it so worked out i mean it's really quite incredible how you can kind of see that he was able to create art through efficiency and mathematical means i mean everything he does is just flawless but it's not lifeless it's flawless and has soul to it yeah and i love, I love what he does at the end where he you know the sextuplet ends with an eighth note or a quarter note <clears throat> so and then he just adds two bass drum doubles to kind of fill the gap so then you're now you're just playing seamless sextuplets but yeah. there's always a, a break between when it goes clockwise and then it goes counterclockwise by putting two bass drum notes in there. That's the stuff I need to work on. I've, I've been loathing putting any kind of bass drum into my fills, but now it's starting to, I just need to do it. And I have a six-piece kit set up that feels like a foreign object to me. So <laughs> That's so awesome, man. Uh, I literally am like, what do I do with my hands? <laughs> 
Oh my goodness. Well, hopefully, I know that this stuff can be kind of hard to understand in the setting of a podcast where we're just telling you and you're trying to visualize it the best you can. But really think about just improvising around the drum set and think about all those times that you get stuck and you're stuck because you've run out of drums. And so I would encourage you to check out this article on either MD.com or ModernDrummer.com or get the newest issue of Modern Drummer but or get Yost Phil's book. But it's a very cool thing to do. To I call them get out of jail free cards. Like I need to know when I get stuck at the end of the drum set, how do I get out of this and keep flowing so mm-hmm. that I don't have to get stuck? And sometimes, like I said, sometimes it is just putting in two kick drums, which then allows my hands to get off the surface for two notes, and I can change the direction. Sometimes it's an odd grouping, a grouping of three rather than a grouping of four, and allows that to keep flowing. Um, and so you have to find those things out for yourself. But this is definitely something that I think we all kind of deal with. Yeah, I mean, just, how many? I mean, probably eighty percent of all of our fills go in one direction. Like exactly, we never think of going the opposite way. So let's drop in. We have you know a one minute video from Yo, so we can drop in the audio where he's actually demonstrating these beats rather than me fumbling over how to explain them. So we'll end with that. <laughs> Beautiful. So I think that right there, just that little bit of audio, if that doesn't make you want to go practice, then Mike and I have no shot. So. Yeah, and I think we both can attest that that is the sound that his body produces. That's no trickery. That's that's how clean and oh, thick of a drum sound he produces with his two hands and foot. It's pretty impressive. It's incredible. All right. Is it time to talk about Marcus Gilmore? It is. So the cover art- artist for the June issue is Marcus Gilmore, who... If you're not following the modern jazz scene, you probably think, who's this up-and-comer? But this gentleman has been top dog in the modern jazz scene since I can remember. I mean, I, I think I met him at a Modern Drummer Festival my first year here, so we're going almost 15 years, and he already had huge gigs by that point. So he's a bit of a prodigy, but certainly has progressed well beyond that. He's currently juggling a, a bunch of different projects. I think the most... Uh, most notoriety would be his work with Chick Corea. Interestingly, Marcus's grandfather is the drum god, Roy Haynes, who made amazing records with Chick Corea as well. Yeah, and I had no idea. And that's, I got to say, obviously, I live on the West Coast, so it's a little bit different for me. I'm not seeing this stuff every day. But I've known who Marcus was for a long time. And the fact that I didn't know that until I read the article tells you that he's done this on his own. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, it's... It's funny, I was thinking about this morning about, you know, how, think about what your grandfather's influence has had on your life. And I think for everyone, if you had a grandfather, you would probably say it's significant. Well, what if your grandfather was a living legend of a high art form? (laughs) How would that influence you? I think 
not only just for wanting to be a drummer, but it sets the bar of how far you can go. Like my grandfather's like a great, one of the greatest drummers of all time. Then that means it's achievable for me. Whereas if his grandfather, you know, was a good drummer, played clubs and stuff, maybe he wouldn't have thought like I can be that level of an artist. I think it's well, just a whole different mindset. I think there's also probably the opposite end of the spectrum of that too would be that he's not Roy Haynes, he's grandpa. So yeah. my normal old grandpa is really good at the drums. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wonder so if he like, was normal or if he thought, man, my grandfather's crazy weird. <laughs> I mean, I can't imagine at six the other kids at the playground are like, do you know who your grandpa is? You know, so it's like, uh, so maybe to 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 Marcus, maybe it was something where it's like, well, that's that's the starting point. I have to be as good as grandpa. Yeah, right. You know, I, I mean, maybe obviously once you get into your teens, you start to realize the historical significance a little bit more, but still pretty amazing. But yeah, I mean, if you think about everyone that he's played with, the records that he's been on, I'm talking about Marcus now, uh, the one thing that I noticed in getting ready for this uh, just was how flexible he is to the music. And you can't really pigeonhole him. Like when I, I was listening to, uh, actually when you and I started this conversation today, I was still listening to, uh, was it the vigil, mm-hmm. uh, uh, by Chick Corea, which even if you don't want to listen to the vigil, just get the album to see Chick Corea riding a giant steed. Uh, it's an <laughs> epic cover. It's a seriously epic cover of somebody that's got to be in his, like, I don't know, sixties by now, just riding a giant steed. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not calling it a horse. It's not a horse. It's a steed. It's a great cover. Uh, so anyways, I was listening to that today, and it's like, oh, yeah, Marcus Gilmore is full-blown fusion drummer mm. yeah, you know, right. being recorded in 2013, but doing the full 70s, early 80s fusion thing. Then you listen to him play with Nicholas Payton, with Chris Potter, and it's like, oh, no, that's right. He's like the most legit jazz drummer out there with the acoustic jazz and yeah. so he's so flexible I, I saw in the article and maybe you can speak to this a bit but I saw in the article how it seemed like there was a lot of complimentary comparisons to him having Elvinisms and being like Jack DeJunette and having all these things and it almost seems like that when you have that many influences and obviously his grandfather you just kind of become your own drummer yeah well I think <clears throat> when you're surrounded by people who I mean no one can say Roy Haynes sounds like anybody else. And, and other people that he's just surrounded himself with, just by being part of that community, I mean, you, you just have no choice but to just do your own thing, I think. I, I would yeah. think. I'm sure he went through a period of, of emulating some of his heroes, but his heroes were probably also just part of his everyday life. You know, like, That's, I, I mean, I always think about that on like a sports level. Tim Duncan must have brought his kid into the you know, Spurs locker room every yeah. They'd be like, oh, yeah, it's game seven. I'll be right back, son. Go <laughs> drop some heat. Uh, and the kid's like, okay. And, and so you're just around that. And I would assume, just so you said the same thing. And I do hear those influences, but when I hear him play, he's his own drummer. And yeah. I would compare other drummers to Marcus Gilmore. Yeah, for sure. He's got his own voice. And he, he definitely talks a lot about stream of consciousness. And I think that's... The ultimate. I think even not if not if you're trying to play jazz or any kind of improvised, like non specific type of music, just to be able to play and not ever have to think about what you're playing. I mean, yeah. is there any higher level to get to where you you can ask me what I'm doing and I can sort of give you an idea, but really I'm just playing, I'm just speaking, I'm just expressing myself. 
that is, I think, what's most impressive about Marcus and some of his peers to me is you can't pinpoint what they're doing exactly. You know, whether you like it or not. And maybe if you really transcribe it, you're like, oh, he's he's actually focusing on quintuplets or some sort of quarter note triplet theme. But it doesn't sound like something that he's ever even thought about doing before. He just plays it. It just comes out. Yeah. And that's what yeah. I love about this stuff. So what I found, there's a good video. If you want to hear Marcus play in the traditional kind of jazz trio format, NPR filmed an hour and 15-minute concert with Chick Corea Vigilette, which is the trio version of the band. So that's on YouTube, Chick Corea Vigilette Jazz Night in America. Um, and if, if you're Chick Corea Roy Haynes fan, you know that this is the format that I think Roy Haynes made his strongest mark so it's really cool to see generational marcus the grandson playing at the same high level of expression in the same medium with the same artist as his grandfather who in my opinion is one of the greatest drummers of all time and he sounds completely like himself yeah let's drop in i'll just grab some bits i'm not uh probably from the opening track which is on green dolphin street Yeah, and I think it it it's traditional jazz, but he's still kind of pushing the language in, in his own way. But you know, it's kind of true to the the format, the jazz trio acoustic format. Um, but if you want to hear him get kind of crazy, just YouTube Marcus Gilmore drums, and you're going to find way more clips of him doing his own thing, which I think is un- indescribable and undefinable what he's doing. Uh, he's He's got weird hi-hat things. What are they? They're called prototype 7-inch K Zilbells, basically. I was going to say, it looks like he's playing Zilbells. Zilbells with some some jingles on top. He's got sensory percussion stuff he's messing around with, which is that trigger. It's not a trigger system, but it's like a electroacoustic processing system for drums. He's got gongs laying on a snare drum. So, yeah, and his setup itself is kind of crazy. So I think if you want to hear him kind of do his own thing, uh, there's a lot of footage of that. I just found one that's called Silowave, S-I-L-O-U-H-W-A-V. So you're going to hear his little weird little Zilbel hi-hats, and he's playing on a on a little gong that's on a snare drum. And f- quite frankly, I don't know what vocabulary he's using on the instrument, <laughs> but it's cool. <laughs> I'm just going to admit it right now. I have no idea what the hell's going on. All right, let's check it out.
the style of soloing that has eluded me, which I would consider thematic repetition. He's mm-hmm. in a theme, and the theme is the repetition. There's mm-hmm. something you can kind of hold on to. You know he has a structure. You know he knows what he's doing, but he's free inside that theme. Yeah. But not so free that he just completely leaves it and it's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and but but I mean, not one single bar was a note for note replication of the bar before, but the theme was always there. Yeah, and it, and I didn't feel like it was ever like, oh, let me play something tricky now, or you know, it just you just kind of doesn't have to. Even his boring stuff is trickier <laughs> than anything I can play right now. And that's I mean, that's the cool stuff. But I but I also don't think he sits down and I I've never met him. I have no idea how he thinks. But I don't think he sits down and goes, how hard is this? I think more it's like, oh, that's a cool vibe that I'm creating. Let me vamp on that for a while and see where it takes me. Yeah. And that's, that's a freedom of soloing that I don't have. I can't see where something takes me. It will take me to a dark place. <laughs> <laughs> it won't be good. Well, it's, yeah, to me, it's that, that ability to avoid pretentiousness. By just being focused on what you're actually doing without it. I mean, it, he's not thinking this is cool and this is abstract and I'm going to be the coolest drummer on earth. No. He's just playing. And I think that's, I, I, yeah, I can't put my finger on why I like it and why I know that I don't feel comfortable doing it myself. I think it's just that that fluency with the language is, yeah. you know, supreme. And I, I like... It's a it's a drum version of the type of fusion I like, where it's like I don't want to figure out the time signature. Maybe it's in four, maybe it's not. I, right. I don't care. Right. I just know that I can hear that it's repetitive, and I enjoy it. And I think that that's something that a lot of us drummers get in our head about is that we're constantly trying to make something new, but we make it so new that it, there's nothing to really anchor yourself to as a listener. You can make it new by adding in one extra note, one ghost note that wasn't there the last time, one left foot that wasn't there the last time. It doesn't have to be a complete redesign every bar. And that's what I like about this style of soloing. Terry Ungoli has the same type of vibe when he solos, where there's something gluing it together. J.P. JP Bouvet is a master of it. and so. Uh, but this is really cool stuff. I can't wait to dig more into his solo stuff. Yeah, so check it out. He's on tons and tons of, of records. So check, just look up Marcus Gilmore if you're not familiar. If you are familiar with him, then I'm sorry it took us so long to get to him, but he's one of my favorites. Uh, incredibly inspiring. I think he represents the current crop of really high art, um, undefinable, uncategorizable drummers. So dig it. Check it out. That's a June issue. All right, so let's dig into, um, first of all, uh, Dream has a bunch of events coming up so i want to make sure that you're aware of all of them so may 11th which is this weekend they are going to be in nashville they are going to be at forks drum closet for a dream hang that's may 11th and then coming up in june they've got four days in a row that are east coast based um, east coast united states so if you're in brooklyn on june 3rd they're going to be at strange weather recording june 4th they're going to be over in jersey at kaleidoscope sound June 5th, they're going to be down in Maryland at Stages Music and Arts at Cockeysville in Cockeysville, Maryland. And then June 6th, they're going to be at one of my favorite studios in Baltimore, Magpie Cage Recording. Again, that's May 11th in Nashville. June 3, 4, 5, 6 are going to be starting in Brooklyn, then Jersey, then Cockeysville, Maryland, and Baltimore, Maryland. I'm trying to get to at least two of those on the East Coast run. Definitely kaleidoscope sound, and hopefully I'm going to get down to Magpie because that's one of my favorite rooms 
in the world. So check it out. Go to Dream's Facebook page. You've got all the info there for RSVP and all of that. Um, also, this episode is sponsored by Elisis. So they just sent me their new Strike Multipad, which is their um, answer to the ubiquitous Roland SPDSX. Uh, I got a little bit of a sample of it at NAM, and I have to say that this this is a giant leap forward for Elisis, in my opinion. Um, but I just got it. I literally haven't taken it out of the box yet to really give it a true test. But just to give you a little rundown on some of the specs, this sucker has um, 32 gigabytes of storage, which is insane. And it also comes with six, gigab- six gigabytes of its own loops and sounds and samples and melodic instruments and things. That's huge. That's a, that's a massive amount of storage. Um, what else? It has a really nice display, which I think has been lacking on all these things. It has a four and a third inch display that actually shows the waveforms. So you can edit the samples similarly like you would on a computer, which is really cool. What else you can uh, you can obviously you can load in your own stuff with a USB drive. It's got a really easy to use looper onboard looper, so you can play stuff on the pad, loop it immediately, and and then jam over top of it. It's got a bunch of effects, um, some functional things that that I didn't think would be important, but now I realize they are. Like you can change the color coding of the pads for if one's a loop or if one's a sample. You can. As you're playing, you can see, well, the green ones are my loops and the red ones are my one-shots or something like that, which is kind of neat. Um, so anyway, this is a – it's got five built-in FX processors. I mean, I think it's going to take me a while to really dig into this thing. Um, so anyway, if you're looking for a, a new multi-pad, definitely check out the Elisa Strike multi-pad. We're going to be revisiting this over the next couple of weeks as I get more acquainted with what this little thing can do. I thought that was a good. You did good just now. I did good. <laughs> you did really good. I appreciate like how the vamp. I was able to go to the restroom. Um, <laughs> took my car in for service. Now that uh, I think the the two things that stick out from somebody that hasn't used it, but I'm just reviewing it. I, I agree that the screen is a big deal. I don't understand why it's always been so janky on all of these things. Yeah. It seems like our technology is there that this should be here. So the screen is amazing. And cause now you can see, like if you're going to edit a wave file, you can edit the wave file in there and you can see the wave file. Yeah, it's like exactly. a little mini pro tools screen. So you have that. And then I totally agree with you on the color coding thing. It's kind of hard to explain without seeing it guys, but just imagine like a little, uh, horizontal LED light underneath each pad that is colored. And it, like you said, you can just make sure that you know what you're doing. And the, the tape thing is great. I understand putting tape on your multi-pad, but it comes off. And, and of course, right when you need to hit it, that's when they always go full blackout at your show <laughs> with the lights and you can't see anything. Uh, so, uh, so, yeah, so I think that thing's awesome. All right. Now we're digging into... Gear, snare drums. Yes, so we're going to check both. out this. Um, I just reviewed this uh, independent drum lab, which is you know better known as Indie Drums. They sent a five and a half by fifteen Rezo Armor Maple snare for me to review. Um, and so we can drop in the audio in a minute, but just explain a little bit about it. If you if you're looking at the picture in the magazine or on the website. That amazing swirl finish is not a wrap. That is a custom lacquer that he actually does by hand. Wait, what? Yeah. 
that's a custom finish. Okay, I wasn't ready for that. Yeah, he's like dipping the shell into different this you know different steps of of paint, and it's actually incredibly durable. He was showing me at I think it was Pasic. I mean, he was like smashing the shell with the drumstick, and there was wasn't a single mark on it. Um, so wow. it's not only beautiful, but it's also as durable, if not more durable than a regular plastic wrap, and it yeah. doesn't affect the sound of the drum away a rap would. If you guys can't see it or you're not seeing it online right now, it's literally like the it's like looking at Jupiter if Jupiter was blue, black and gray. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's just absolutely gorgeous. I definitely thought that was like a an abalone shell wrap of some sort. No. Uh, that's that's amazing. It's a custom finish. So and so the company's owned by Josh Allen who um, I met years ago when he was working for a much larger drum company and he invented a lot of the hardware innovations that have kind of carried that company forward and now he's on his own so he also offers a lot of really slick simple efficient hardware like if you're if you're, you need to replace your throw off check out an indie throw off it's it's really simple stable works great and it doesn't it you know it's kind of designed to not affect again the tone at all He's got his own lug design. It's like a bridge design. So, again, minimal contact. Just really kind of smart, um, efficient changes to hardware that or you might overlook if you're just looking at a photo. Let's talk about the drum itself. It is a – how many plies is it? I don't even remember. Let's find it. <laughs> is it in the review? That's, that's how good it is. Um <laughs> I was actually just on their website, so I apologize for blanking out there. Yes, yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it's, I'm sure it's in the review, but you know, it doesn't, that stuff doesn't, he has his own, read the review, because he has his own philosophy on how he makes the shells, and I totally respect it. Like, you, it's like, as a consumer, as a player, don't ask too many questions, just take what he does and know that he's put a lot of thought and effort into it, and I appreciate Agreed. that. Yeah, and I mean, I think that the three things that he kind of puts into his shell, which would be the mass, the flexibility, all that, and then uh, what was the other one? The um, the stiffness. Um, mm-hmm. So, oh, the elas- elasticity, stiffness, and mass, and how they all affect the sound in different ways. And I really never, I mean, this is such an obvious thing, but I never really considered the glue and the type of glue to be mm-hmm. directly adding to the mass of the shell. Um, and it's funny because he says, or at least he's talking about it with his philosophy, the, the less mass you have, the more sensitive the drum is going to be. And it, it makes me think, like, oh, I wonder, like, you know, I've never really thought of that. I've always been like, well, then let's go to 100 snare wires. Mm. And, you know, and so it just makes a ton of sense. It's, like, it's almost like drum building through logic, which we as drummers usually skip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, exactly. it's really quite fantastic. Well, this is so. This is a five and a half by fifteen. Yeah, and the, so the shell is a five ply shell. Uh, it's three okay. plies that are going horizontal grain, and then two that are going vertical. Again, if you want to read on the science about it, he's got explanations for all of that on his website. Um, but I just thought the drum sounded incredibly open um, and resonant in a good way, very musical and open. So you want to drop an audio now? Yeah. So we're going to go from like a medium high and, you know, it sounds like a snare drum, but when I go down to like barely any tension on the head at all and I muffle it with a drum wallet, I think you're going to hear something that I haven't been able to get out of too many drums.
That's quite versatile right there. Yeah, I mean, it's a 15-inch drum, uh, medium depth, but it's a big drum, but it played like a like a regular drum with wow. that extra potential to go down to like sounding like a floor tom with wires on it <laughs> and yeah, still have response. Surprising. Yeah, exactly, yeah. No, it sounded it sounded like a sample, you know, and like, uh, but it sounded flawless. So, and how does it feel? I can can you feel? I've never owned a fifteen. I've never played a fifteen. Can you feel the difference between a fifteen and a fourteen? I can't. I think, I think probably the biggest difference is you can get a lower note with more tension on the head. Okay. So you can get a better. You can get like a, a familiar buzz roll, but it's going to be at a lower pitch than if it was a thirteen or a fourteen. So that that seems to be the benefit for me. Is you can get it to feel like respond like a like a fourteen, but if you want a deeper sound or not deeper sound, a lower sound, it'll do that. A lower fundamental pitch. Yes, exactly. Which is what well, I like. I like I like low sounding drums, but I don't want to feel like a wet paper bag. Right. So I, I yeah, like fifteens for that reason. Well, everyone, check out this drum and a lot more drums at IndieDrum.com. That's I-N-D-E Drum.com. And uh, I was just checking out their strainer, like you mentioned. And it's $50, and this thing is as pro as it gets. I think it will it'll class up a lot of snare drums. Yeah, and he's got all kinds of stuff. Like if you have like the real... If you got a vintage drum and, and the rack tom mount is just choking the life out of it, he's got one designed to kind of make it a suspended mount, but you can't really tell. It's just it's super low prof- profile, and that actually that drum I, that you just heard that we're reviewing is only six hundred dollars. Wow! And it's a handmade awesome. custom drum, so he's he's looking out for all of us working drummers um, without sacrificing anything, in my opinion, for quality. Love it, um, <clears throat> and he has full kits in that finish that you were talking about. Yes. Yep. He had that at Paysick. I think it was Paysick. He had the full kit, and it was it was pretty amazing. I love that he's got a video of himself just holding a lighter up to that finish, just showing like <laughs> you can't even burn it. Ballsy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Staring directly into the lens while it's going down, and uh, yeah, it all works out. All right, everybody, check out indietrum.com. Now it is time for us to get to your questions. All right, this one's from Joshua. You've touched on the perceived difference in feel when playing the same drums in various environments, like indoor versus outdoor, but my question is about the difference in feel with various drums in the same environment. Given the same drum sizes, heads, and tuning, do you find drums feel different from one another? If so, do you find a correlation between feel and the drum's construction? Um, Do different brands of similar construction feel different from one another to you? Totally. Yeah, and how do we... How do you pinpoint what is causing the difference in feel? Um, Okay. Well, for me, obviously, the heads are always the same. So I know that the heads are the same. I know that I have a broken ear where I can only tune all of my drums exactly the same. (laughs) I don't even have an option. Like if somebody's like, give me that Nashville studio thing. I'm like, nope, you get the Mike Johnston tuning because it's the only thing I know how to do. Uh, So I know that there's that. And then I remember I used to attribute it to... Japanese maple versus American maple because I I always felt like when I would hit and and I don't even know if the wood is from I don't know where they're getting their maple from but when I would hit Tama drums back in the day Yamaha drums for sure Pearl I felt like I always called them audience drums I didn't feel like they were giving me anything but then when someone else would play the kit and I'd stand in front of it I was blown away by how amazing it sounded Mm. and then I felt like 
uh, at the time I was a DW drummer, they, those felt to me like drummer drums where I felt like I was getting everything I wanted. Like it was coming to me and the, the sticks were leaping off the heads. So, and so at the time, the only thing I knew was, well, I think one of these is getting their wood from America for like, you know, uh, where's uh, DW's farm? Is it in uh, their yeah. maple? I don't know. Mexico? I think it's in like, no, no. It's in, no, it's in America. I think <laughs> I it's in like know. Wisconsin. Um <laughs> American made in Mexico. Uh, no. So anyway, so that was all I could attribute it to. Now that I've been doing stuff with like Gretsch, different shells, I still think it comes down to the wood, the bearing edge. But yeah, they're totally, you can totally feel the difference. Yeah, I think for me, the bearing edges might be the the first thing I notice. Um, yeah. Like I think a, a full round over bearing edge is just going to feel softer than a super yes. sharp bearing edge. And then from there, I think it's the density or mass or whatever. I'm not a scientist, but I think a three-ply vintage kit is going to feel a lot more airy and open than a, whatever, a six-ply birch kit or a stave kit or something. Yeah. Um, it's weird because we're talking about feel, not sound. Yeah. And there, there yeah. is a feel to the instrument for sure. And <clears throat> I do not discount it at all. Like, I don't just want my drums to sound good. I'm like, well... I hate playing it, but it sounds good. I want to enjoy playing my drum set, and that feel is extremely important to me. But I, uh, just to answer your question, yes, there is a different feel in the exact same room through different brands, but it's not because of their brand. It's because their brand is different because they're using something different. Yeah, all the different. You know, I think that might be the single advantage, not advantage, I mean, it's the most obvious difference between a professional high-end kit and an entry-level kit is the feel. The feel. It's, yeah. it's not really the, the sound, yes, but more than anything, I think it's the feel. But I mean, really, if w- how many records have you heard where you go, was that guy using a Catalina? <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> like, never happened. But the feel is totally there. Not to dog out the Catalina, I'm a Dutch artist, very proud of the Catalina <laughs> series, but it's not a USA custom. All right, Moving thanks, on. Josh. <laughs> Next one is from Carl. Uh, my question, what suggestions do you have for drumless play-along tracks? And mm. that can be loops or entire songs, and where would <clears throat> I acquire them? And then the second part of the question, how would you incorporate them into a practice session? Uh, I don't have a source. Do you have a source? Maybe. I don't have a source because I don't I don't use them anymore. I, although I do really like the How Leonard Drum Play-Along series. They did, I don't know how many, probably 20 books where they literally recreate songs without the drums in it those have been great a lot of my early youtube stuff was me trying to figure out how to make my drums sound like whatever will calhoun or Stuart copeland i used those tracks so it it sounds pretty spot on to the original recording minus vocals and drums so how leonard drum play long series would be high high on my list other than that i don't know what do you got john riley's uh jim riley Mm-hmm. Jim Riley's book is fantastic. What is that? A survival guide for the studio drummer? Modern drummer. Survival guide for the modern drummer. Good God. <laughs> I mean, how. Uh, I'm not even going to start. <laughs> All right. So uh, it's, it's, it's my lack of book knowledge. Um, so there's that. I think that one's fantastic. And the, the play alongs are modern and high quality. Um, I do get all of my tracks from somewhere called Epidemic Sound. And it's all royalty-free. If you want a special link, uh, that'll get you a 30-day free trial to Epidemic Sound. Send me an email at mike at mikeslessons.com, and I will get you that link. Uh, but So what it is is when you're downloading this 
royalty-free song with vocals and drums and everything, uh, they'll ask you, do you want the track or do you want the stems? So I always download the stems, delete the drums, mm. throw the bass, vocals, and guitar into Pro Tools, and then that's how all of my campers are able to play to drumless tracks. They're also able to post themselves playing to those tracks and not get in any trouble at all. Nice. Cool. What's that website again? Epidemicsound.com. Dig it. There you go, Carl. Other than that, I say play along with the actual recordings, too. You can never just over... Absolutely. Don't want to discount the value of trying to sound exactly like what's already on the the recording. All right, one more. This one's from Derek. Um, I'm having trouble finding a snare in the under $500 range that will enhance my gigging needs. <clears throat> the genre of music that I play varies widely from each band, from funk to pop to rock to country. So it's tough to stick with one snare that sounds good for everything. Uh, but I also don't want to have to set up a side snare to have two drums, I guess, on his kit. It says, I have a 6x13 maple, which sounds too thin, but it has a great pop. Uh, I have a Birch Babinga 7x14, which um, never seems to fit appropriately and is a tank to carry. And a Ludwig Superphonic 5x14 that usually takes care of all of my needs but it has its high and low points as well. So looking for something with a more definitive crack, a fuller body, and can react at low volume. Exactly why I went to work with Gretsch on this in the first place. Because <laughs> that exact same thing. And it's way under $500. Coming in at $499 will save you a hey buck. Yo. hey yo. Uh, so I will plug that now since you can't get it, so I'm not really even plugging it, and then Mike can give his recommendation. But uh, So what we did was... W- we literally started with the problem and your thing was the problem. Uh, so it was like, we need the most versatile snare drum that can become the flagship snare for Gretsch's snare drum lineup of just, Hey, here's a standard snare that can do everything. So it's a five and a half by 14, starting with a Brooklyn shell. Uh, by the way, it's going to be called the Gretsch Brooklyn standard, uh, five and a half by 14 Brooklyn shell. But with, instead of the normal bearing edges, the 30 degree round over bearing edges, it's got double 45, so it's a very sensitive wood drum. So it's got the sensitivity of a metal drum, but the crack of a maple shell. It's got the Brooklyn hoops, the old new classic tube lugs that allow the shell to do its job. But the most important thing for you, since you mentioned going from pop to country, it's got the internal muffling system from that they invented a long time ago. But all of my students under 20 think it's like the newest invention ever. <laughs> and it is awesome. It's great to not have to like throw gels around the kit and move them from the snare for this song and then put them back on the snare. It's it. You just turn on the muffle and then, I mean, literally you don't even have to tune the drum. You just drop two lugs out of it and it goes, Psh! it's awesome. Um, so that's coming out at NAMM 2020. If you need a snare before then, Mike's going to tell you what to get. Here's what you can get. You can get a regular Brooklyn series. <laughs> well, I think what you need in from reading your description and what you want and what you're missing, you need a good quality maple drum. Yeah, I think pick any brand and get the best drum you can find from that brand that's under $500, and it's going to be what you need if, you, if it's the 5.5 range. Because a Superphonic, I think he says it almost gives you everything you need. I imagine it's probably lacking in warmth. So get yourself a nice maple drum. At that price point, you can find a ton of stuff. I was, I was kind of joking, but the Gretchlin, the Gretsch Brooklyn, the Gretchlin, the Gretsch Brooklyn is, is under that. You can also get a renowned series for under that. Um, and then the Tama SLP line, Tama SLP, you could probably get a Ludwig classic maple. Um, so you just need a good quality maple drum that, that 
when I was reading through your list, that was the first kind of glaring uh, blind spot was, oh, you don't have your centerpiece, which is a good quality maple drum. Yeah, and literally, dude, you just have to wait, like, barely, <laughs> like, seven months, and then it's there for you. Uh, yeah, get exactly what Mike said. Sell that in January. <laughs> Buy my snare, you're going to be fine. All right, moving on. Uh, okay, we got... Um, this will be the last one. So this is from Max. This summer I'll be teaching a high school drum line for the fourth year. I'm a student in college, and I'm wondering what is the best way to get high school students as engaged in drums as I am. I've only had two students take a serious interest in learning more about technique and method. I think, first of all, Max, congratulations for having two students that have taken a serious interest in drumming. Mm-hmm. That would be the same level of what you expect from yourself. That's You're not going to find it very often. Let's just put it put it that way, simply. <laughs> right? Am I right? You're not going to find oh, uh, students that you're like the, the perfect student. You're exactly like me, and let's let's dig you know all the way in. Yeah, those this. are called friends, <laughs> right? <laughs> Peers. Yeah, yeah. So that would be my first thing is to say, just you know, well done for for even having two that you've inspired to dig in deeper. Um, so as far as what's the best way to get high school students engaged in Jones as much as you are, I'll hand it over to Mike Johnston. Music. They, uh, high school is when music is the most important thing in your life. It's when it's saving you from depression that all high school kids go through. It's when it's inspiring you to wake up in the morning. So connect with them through music. Find their favorite bands, their favorite artists, and find something that physically they cannot do with their favorite bands. If you can find a song that's 20 BPM out of their tempo range, then you can get them on the pad. You just have to you have to put the carrot in front of them and get them to chase it, but it has to be relative to their passions, and uh, you have to be okay with their passions and their likes and the music they love aren't aren't the same as yours. So through the music, then that that will dictate the path that you show them what what it's going to take to play the music that they love. I have a student here right now that uh, last night tried to play a Deftone song, and he physically it was uh, around the fur by the Deftones off of the Around the Fur album. Mm. And it goes do 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 ka ka then another four on the kick do 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 and he doesn't have the foot speed for it so mm. you know how easy it's going to be to make him practice foot speed so he can accomplish the song that he's dreaming to play like no problem at all so yeah do it through music dig it all right so that's it for questions please send them in at to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com we do have a few audio ones so maybe next week we'll bring those in but we could use whatever Brent, send us your audio questions your video questions your print questions mdinfo at moderndrummer.com dig into our picks i've got one do you have one hell yeah let me go first okay let's just pull the curtain back just so you guys know this is the hardest part of the podcast. We scramble at the beginning of every episode as we're getting ready. Like, you got to pick a week. Oh, crap. I don't know. Oh, what did I buy this week? What did I buy? <laughs> um, okay, so I will give you my pick of the week, mainly because I've been getting a lot of questions about it. Ever since Adobe was here shooting those videos, you guys noticed probably about a week later, I had these tubes, these light tubes that were surrounding my kit. And I use them in lots of different ways. And they are fully colored. You can, um, I'm trying to think what they call it, um, what the name of the colors is. But there's um, uh, any color you can think of, it's in there. So these tubes are amazing. They look like just the tube you would put in a, um, what, like a fluorescent tube. They look like fluorescent tubes. They're not. I've stepped on them like three or four times and they don't come close to breaking. So Mm. 
didn't mean to step on them. Uh, but these things are just almost indestructible. They're battery powered, so I plug them in at night. If I turn them on in the morning, they're still lit when I leave at the end of the day. So these oh, wow. lights, without anything plugged into them, will last about 12 hours. Uh, so they're absolutely incredible. They're not cheap. Um, I'm finding them on Adorama.com right now on sale for $450 a piece. They're normally about $600. Um, and so, and then they come with a remote control, but they have all these different settings. Like if you want a background vibe of a fire going on, you hit the fire button and then it goes through this cycle of reds and oranges and yellows on camera. It looks like there's a fire going on in the background. (laughs) Yeah. These are not these, this isn't like, Amazon light light kit. (laughs) No, no, no. These are, these are for filmmakers that it's like, okay, behind or in the reflection of this person's eyes, we need to see the ocean. We need to see a fire. We need to see a forest. So there's literally a forest setting and then it cycles through different greens that would reflect in the catch light of somebody's eyes. So these are big boy lights, but what are they called? um, They're so they are called the, I've been talking about it. I've mentioned it like six times, Mike. Get on board. These are the Astera AX1. Astera is A-S-T-E-R-A. Astera AX1 wireless pixel tube. So I have two of these. I think I'm going to order two more. Uh, I'm just, I'm blown away by them. I think they're absolutely amazing. So Astera is the company. I had to get them through a movie supply company that supplies uh, production studios with lights, but uh, I'm seeing some right now on Adorama. Just check to find out if they're used, because a lot of times Adorama deals with used gear. Um, but you, you can find them anywhere. They're normally about six hundred bucks a piece. You can find them as low as four fifty. Um, this is not what you start your lighting rig with. This is the end. Mm. This is decorative lighting. So, hey, what would you start a light rig with right now in twenty nineteen? Uh, I would start with two. Honestly, I would start with one light. If if you could only do one thing. I would put your money into the uh, uh, Aperture 120D Mark II, and you would be done. Like You could light an entire kit with it. You can light your face with it. You could light everything with the Aperture 120D, and then you just get a, a light dome softbox, which is massive. But the bigger softbox you get, the more diffusion it has, the softer the light is on your face so that it's not harsh. Um, now... Anyone that's going to go like, dude, that thing's like 600 bucks. Mm-hmm. I promise you. I showed somebody that just came here the other day. I filmed them with a $5,000 camera. Uh, actually, uh, it's my buddy Devin Sumner. Uh, we were talking about this stuff. I said, let me film you real quick. I put a $200 LED on his face. Mm-hmm. I filmed him with a $5,000 camera and a $3,000 lens. <laughs> and then I put my Aperture 120D on his face and... It, it was night and day difference. He couldn't even believe how different it was. Like lighting is more important than your lens, than your camera, than anything. If you're going to improve anything, improve your lighting first. So I used to say, just get like the Cowboy Studio three light setup, and it is good. It's not bad at all, and it's more than enough to get started. And you get three lights, but I mean, compared to one quality studio light, mm. it's it's a game changer. So, <clears throat> anyways, all right. For my pick of the week, just fell on deaf for years. <laughs> home and cry. So I did, uh, I played a, a day of percussion in Maryland, Delaware this past weekend. And one of the last questions I got was from a young lady who just got her first drum set and she wanted to know what cymbals to get, which was a really interesting question to have to answer. 
Um, so I kind of went through all the brands and thought about, well, what would I pick for you? Because you don't want to get something entry level and cheap because you're going to have to replace it within a year. And she's already like wanting to like play at a professional level. Okay. <clears throat> so the best option, after I went through all the brands, I just remembered that there's a pre-pack Istanbul Agop Exist set. It comes with a 20-inch ride cymbal, a 16-inch crash, 14-inch hi-hats, plus a hard case. And I think there's even some deals out there where you get a free 18-inch crash. That might be the best deal. And and I'm seeing prices as low as $561 for all of that. Whoa. And these are B20 really nice cymbals. In fact, uh, Carter has a 20-inch Exist crash on the Lion King kit, and it sounds beautiful. So I think they're killing it. These are they're they're machined, but they have some you know hand hand hammering at the, at the finish line. But they're beautiful. They just sound like really nice classic symbols. The price is shockingly low. So Istanbul Agop exists, which is X I S T. Even if you don't need a whole set, you can find individual pieces. These this is a very very high quality, often overlooked subseries of Agop. Mainly because they're known for having the really insane hand-hammered old K style stuff. These are more like your A customs, your you know general use, beautiful sounding symbols. So check out their exist awesome. set. Love it. All right, everybody. We'll have an amazing, amazing week. We hope that you guys get out there and practice a ton. Please, if you get a chance, head on over to iTunes and give us a rating or review. Also, let us know if there's another podcast platform that you'd rather hear us on than iTunes, let us know so we can make sure that we are everywhere that you need us to be. Dude, I'm just going to go teach a camp. All right, we're going to send the show off with our outro beat by Andrew Bennett. This is something he created a loop with acoustic guitar, Udu, Doombeck, Kashishi, and then played some drums over top of it. So we're going to send it off with that. 